The recent preemptive measures taken by the Reserve Bank in respect of banks and NBFCs were geared towards addressing potential risks and preserving the resilience of the financial sector. We do not wait for the house to catch fire and then act. With that warning, the keeper of the keys on Mint Street tightened the noose around those trying to put a band-aid of early signs of stress by evergreening loans. Now, the Reserve Bank of India has raised red flags, pointing out concerns about companies using AIFs for ever-grading troubled loans and backdoor funding within the same AIFs. Now, what RBI has done is that it has dropped a bombshell. It has directed all banks and NBFCs to either offload their AIF investments within 30 days or set aside necessary provisions. This isn't just about the bad apples. The new rules has sent shock waves across the entire AIF industry. Regulated entities are now expected to navigate a maze, separating companies and AIFs into distinct universes, a move seen by many as impractical. NBFCs are now scrambling with new challenges for balance sheets with the fire sales of these assets or heavy provisioning. There is going to be that layer of stress forming in the next. It will change the way banks and NBFCs invest in AIFs in the first place. And the stress is starting to show. Piramal Enterprises and IFL Finance promptly disclosed their AIF investments affected by the recent RBI regulation. Piramal Enterprises have revealed a total investment of rupees 3,817 crore. Uh, they've also announced that they plan to adjust rupees 3,164 crore through capital funds or provisions. Similarly, IFL Finance have also disclosed an investment of 21 uh, crore in IFL Fintech Fund. We are yet to see other NBFCs like Indebles or Edelweiss disclose their numbers. And for the AIFs, the 30 to 40,000 crores of investments from the financial sector is now in a limbo and the industry is up in arms. When the industry sent their representations, they had a discussion with the ministry, with the RBI, they're saying you are kind of uh, throwing the baby with the bathwater. AIFs across the world, this kind of vehicles, institutional wholesale lenders, they do invest. So if we do it prudently, right, uh, why should we be penalized? So did the RBI end up using a sledgehammer when a scalpel would have been more adequate? Will a rework of the regulation be required to put out the fire that the regulator seems to have ignited with painting all deals between the financial institutions and the AIFs with a brush of presumed guilt? And will evergreening remain evergreen, with new shoots and roots already showing up just days after this diktat? It's December 28th. From The Economic Times, I'm your host Anupriya Nair. And you're listening to Evergreening and AIFs, an impractical solution to a genuine problem on The Morning Brief. Evergreening is an age-old practice for the financial system where the regulator regulates and the players innovate to hide signs of stress and push the can of crisis down the road. From the first move two decades ago to set up ARCs to stringent restructuring norms and the disclosure demands that arose from the aftermath of the financial crisis, the RBI always had a firm footing to ensure 
that the system is not caught by surprise with an explosion of NPAs and stressed assets. But this time, the guidelines seem to have caused more fires than dousing them. I turn to E.T. Shugata Ghosh for some clarity and explanations of the intention as well as the implications. Thank you, Shugata. So always excellent to have you on the morning brief. And it all started when I read your piece called The Evergreen Evergreening. For the uninitiated, could you just first explain what is this very practice that has drawn the attention of the regulators? And I'm using plural here because not just the RBI, SEBI had highlighted this earlier. But uh, let's start with the very basic. What caught the eye? Well, just to take a step back, alternative investment funds, that is AIFs, which is a regulatory term for private equity, venture capital, credit funds, infra funds, a different kind of pooled vehicles. But unlike mutual funds, where you can invest very little amount, here the entry-level investment is one crore. So this is a pool vehicle for wealthy investors who can write a check of one crore. Now, in the financial services space, this is a comparatively new animal. In eight to nine years, we have an industry of the size of eight and a half lakh crore. If you compare that with the mutual fund AUM, it's 50 lakh crore. It's growing at uh, 25% uh, compounded rate. So whenever a growth of this kind happens, particularly in a new asset class, in a new industry, the financial services regulators are always, I mean, their antenna goes up and they try to figure out what is this money? Where is the money coming from? Where is it going? A lot of investments happen in unlisted space. A very general explanation could be that, look, there has been the growth of the startups in the last 10 years. There's been a fabulous growth. And many of these AIFs are bankrolling this startup. Now, since it has been growing at a very rapid space and it is comparatively less regulated because you don't have very small investors, you don't have retail investors. So the protection umbrella of the regulators is not as stringent. Yes. But that, that has begun to change. Now, AIFs are regulated by SEBI. Over the last two years, SEBI has gone through the AIF books, particularly the large AIF books, and they have asked a plethora of questions to AIFs that uh, what kind of investments you are making, what are the nature of your investors, how many of them are overseas investors, and uh, is it a blind pool, or are you giving preferential treatment to a certain category of investors? After collecting this data, SEBI has been bringing out a lot of regulations. And this process you would have started quite a while back? It's not SEBI started it about, I would say, two years. Now, SEBI stand, I mean, there was also a pushback from the industry. Sure. Uh, they had gone to, they had made representation to SEBI. They had gone to the ministry saying that, look, this is micro-regulation. We are getting over-regulated. The industry would be stifled. But they have had a continuous discussion, a continuous dialogue with SEBI. And SEBI is willing to relent, give them certain latitude. If AIF fund managers give a commitment, then the funds will not be misused. This concept of misuse of funds is where RBI came. So this is from the market regulator standpoint. Correct. Now it comes, it moves from SEBI, from the BKC headquarters and lands on Mint Street's uh, outlook. Okay. So what happened is that in the course of inspection of the different AIF books and also through market intelligence, SEBI got a whiff that 
AIFs are being used to evergreen loans. That is giving new loans to repay old loans which are about to default or which are under stress. Which is not a new thing in the banking industry. It just finds a new way of doing it. With it's a new term. way of doing it because earlier, say 10 years ago, banks used to do it blatantly. Yeah. Right. They would give a new loan and the old loan would be repeated. Now, now you can no longer do that. Uh, large banks have been pulled up because of this. So they have found AIF a vehicle of doing this. They figured out a little complicated deals where an NBFC or a lender would give money to the AIF and AIF will lend that money to companies which have borrowed from the lender, from the NBFC or the bank. Mm -hmm. And this new loan which these companies raised is used to pay back the old loans of the bank or the NBFC. So it's a circular process. It's a circular process. Now, SEBI, as the market regulator, told AIFs, look, you guys can't do this. Because in the process, you are using a different structure. You are giving a priority distribution in the sense that you are giving a senior unit. That is when an AIF accepts your money, AIF gives you a unit, like a mutual fund. Now, the NBFC, which is investing in the AIF, hmm. that is the NBFC, which is the original lender. Which has the stressed asset. Correct. So yeah. that NBFC gets junior units. And there is another overseas credit funds, which has the appetite for this kind of papers. They, they get, yeah, they get a senior unit. So they are a hired investor. There's a, they invest a bigger amount. Okay. Say 60% they invest, 40% the NBFC in, invests. And they get a senior unit in the sense that when you recover the loans, when you recover the money, the, they get paid first. Yeah, the overseas investor get paid first. Okay. Now, no rules were broken in this entire thing. But SEBI felt, and rightly so, that the entire spirit of regulation was being trampled. By this uh, junior-senior payout Correct. system. Correct. Okay. Because otherwise, without the junior-senior payout system, nobody would be willing, no overseas fund would be coming and helping you to regret. Because there's nothing in it for them. Nothing in it for them. So this is where it started. Now, as far as SEBI is concerned, SEBI put an end to this and told AIFs, you can't do it. SEBI also alerted RBI. This was November last year, because I yes. recall you writing about yes. this. This was November last year. SEBI alerted RBI. RBI also, probably in the course of inspection of different, some of the large NBFCs, figured out that this was happening. So now RBI has come out with a rule, but in killing this particular practice, the rules are so sweeping that it impacts a large number of AIFs, which have done plain vanilla deals as part of a normal asset diversification, but they would also get hit by the by mm. these rules. So that is where the hue and cry is all about. So is it feasible that the RBI saw a greater danger than, than SEBI did and they felt that is why the hammer needed to come down stronger? You're saying that new norms that have come out, which out of them, according to you, have been sort of the most stringent, which have caused, it's not just conflict of interest, it's literally turning the tap off for some of these AIFs. So suppose a bank, a bank invests say 10 crore, in an AIF, which is, say, 100 crore corpus. Now, the bank is holding 10% of the corpus, right? Now, out of this 100 crore, suppose the AIF has subscribed to debentures issued by a company, say, worth 2 crore or 3 mm. crore of a company which has borrowed from this bank. Mm. Then, this entire 10 crore investment has to be provided by the bank in its books. Now, a large bank could have a total 
AIF exposure of 4,000, 5,000 crore, right? We are talking of big provisioning. Now, if there is no such downstream investment, the bank or the NBFC doesn't have to make any provisioning. But often the bank or the NBFC may not be aware of such, of such investments, right? So why are people upset is that a bank will say, look, I can't monitor these things. So yeah. let us not invest in AIF at all. Because the compliance cost is too much yes. for me at this point. As far as banking regulations are concerned, and bank cannot invest more than 10% in an AIF. Right? That same doesn't exist for NBFC. It doesn't exist. And even the current guidelines don't impose any no, restriction. No. Okay. So a bank can go above 10% subject to RBI clearance. But that is very rare. Yeah. Very few banks actually do it. So now when the industry send their representations, they had a discussion with the ministry, with the RBI. They're saying that, look, you are kind of uh, throwing the baby with the bathwater, right? You can't do this. I mean, we have done normal transactions and uh, AIFs across the world, this kind of vehicles, institutional wholesale lenders, they do invest, right? Mm. Your entire asset book can't be of pure loans, right? Mm. It's a mix of debentures, units. Yeah. And there is always a little space for a slightly higher risk uh, papers. So if we do it prudently, right, uh, why should we be penalized? So that is where it stands now. But then for RBI to kind of go back, RBI has to tone down the regulations and other things, which doesn't happen very easily because once a regulator decides something, it takes a long time to kind of change gears and accept their mistakes and do something. But then that process is on because it is quite sweeping. It's a broad brush kind of a measure. And even the timeline that has been given, or or there was yes. a word that you used earlier with me, which was... Uh, it's kind of a presumed guilt. I mean, you have to make a 100% provisioning and you can avoid that 100% provisioning by selling down that investment in 30 days. Now, that is very difficult, right? I mean, there is no secondary market for units like that, right? And it is not possible for the AIF to sell down the loan portfolio and make a distribution back to the bank because it is a blind pool. If an AIF sells some assets, it has to distribute equally to all its investors. So for the bank has to either do a fire sale and sell at a loss or make a 100% provision. So that before the March end quarter could increase the provisioning for different banks, which understandably they don't want. So one has to wonder and... If this was indeed a systemic problem in your conversations when you were writing your articles and you're talking to sources, is this a system-wide blatant problem or is it a concentrated risk and, and the regulator was afraid of it spreading out so they sort of decided to clamp down? As the governor says, we like to put the fire out before the house guards burn down. Were there that many houses uh, in line to be burnt? No, it's good for a regulator to be proactive, right? What SEBI did, what RBI did, the intent, I'm fairly sure it's it was proper. Now, the thing is that a rough estimate is that 40,000 to 50,000 crore of such deals have happened in two, three years, right? By less than a dozen lenders. If it would have gone on like this, I'm sure it would have touched a few lakh crores in the next two years. So it's good that the regulators stepped in. But I tend to believe that RBI rushed it without giving proper consideration to this, that what would be the impact on the industry in its totality. 
So what kind of impact are we anticipating? I connect with Deepak Shinoy, CEO of Capital Mind, who breaks it down that how leveraging relations will now be only conflicts of interest and the stress one could expect to show up, not just in the near term, but also as a long-term blow for businesses. A startup has uh, taken investment from an EIF and a certain bank is an investor in that EIF. And somebody in that company, a startup, takes a credit card. Or the company itself takes a credit card from the bank. Effectively, the bank now has the company as a debtor because the credit card is effectively debt. The bank has to now sell either sell down its exposure in the AIF or take away the credit card, you know, that way. So it has these unintended consequences which affect genuine players uh, in the spectrum, but it will change the way banks and NBFCs invest in AIFs in the first place. But Deepak, what is your understanding of how widespread this problem was? Were there just a few bad apples giving the basket a bad name or was this practice prevalent across the board? So according to me, almost everybody in the financial industry has done this. Almost everybody in the industry industry has done something like this, especially if they had exposure to real estate loans. And I won't take names, but big and small, uh, you know, people with nice, uh, well-known names and people with less well-known names or people with names that have more infamy than fame. Uh, all of them uh, have done some parts of this at some part, some point in the last 10 years. A certain large entity group has been doing this consistently over years where they have rolled down loans to other NBFCs. Those NBFCs are loaned to AIFs and, you know, kind of pushed the can down the road. These are not NPAs per se, but remember NBFCs also have uh, limits in terms of how much they can lend to a particular sector. So if there are or to a certain group and if they cross those limits, then there are problems. And then therefore, there will be those routes of AIFs made available that will allow them to continue to have that exposure. However, it will be indirect. So this affects the NBFC industry who will not be able to do this. The NBFC, particularly those NBFCs who are using this for an evergreening mechanism, that was a problem now. Here is where the rules are really weird. If you continue to have debt exposure to a certain entity and then you also own as an NBFC and units of an AIF, which also has exposure to the same entity, you have to either get rid of the exposure to the AIF or get rid of the exposure to the entity itself in the sense of, you know, call back the debt or something like that. Now, there are a lot of NBFCs which will have a little bit of both. And trying to sell those units is going to be extremely difficult today because who's going to buy them? They can't sell it to another NBFC or a bank. And uh, very few people have the visibility and the know-how. Therefore, it will be either forced to take a loss over there or cull the, to the debtor itself in the entity, which actually makes that entity even more stressed because if you have one debtor saying, listen, give me back my money, now, although I'd given it to you for a five-year or a six-year term loan or something like that, then the person is like, dude, where do I get the money from? So you effectively create more stress in those entities. So stress creation admission we've seen already, but when do we start seeing it take a hit on the balance sheets or the numbers for those who are actually impacted? Let's say if I have invested 100 crores into an EIF and that 100 crores is now being valued at 80 when I sell it. 
a 20 crore is a loss to me right now. It's going to hit my balance sheet. So in the January quarter is when don't appear. So you'll see it only in the results of the that will come in after April 2024. So it's a while away before it starts hitting the balance sheets of okay. uh, uh, NBFCs. But some parts will already be hitting them. So for instance, the retail loan exposure, the higher risk rates, those will start hitting them already. So there are higher provisioning to be done. Also, by the way, in the AFs, if they don't, aren't able to get rid of them, the provisions will increase. So therefore, again, in April, you're going to see a higher provisioning and therefore lower profits. Today, I think very few NBFCs have actually come out and commented publicly about what their extents of their damages. On for roughly nine years now, 2014 or 15 is when the first set of AIF start were, were created that took advantage of the structure. And uh, many of them are reaching end of life now. And one of the things that people want to do was to roll them over to the next AIF. Yeah. But they can't do that. So you have stress there, right there, right? Because once you reach a point where your AIF cannot transition its own assets to some other AIF, you now, because that new AIF will be like, listen, if I take over your assets and then there is this other lending relationship and all that stuff, it's uh, all going to go to hell. So there is going to be that layer of stress forming in the next few years. So I think, yeah, there will be some damage to balance sheets. But as they say, when there is a will, there is a way. As when we started this podcast, we said regulators regulate, but the innovation continues. This time, it's the same plot of stress assets getting passed down, but the cast changes. It's not AIFs as the central character anymore. Shugato explains. This is what I'm hearing, that if some of the NBFCs, they have replicated the AIF structures to set up trusts. And they're doing exactly the same thing which they were doing with AIFs. Now, after Sebi said that, look, guys, you can't do AIFs and offer this senior junior business, you can't do it. So they set up trusts and they securitize the loan. So they transfer the loans and they issue pass-through certificates. But in this pass-through certificate also, like the units of the AIF, there is a senior PTC and there is a junior PTC, right? So the entire thing is being replicated. So I, I'm sure it's a matter of time. RBI will clamp down on that too. Because, I mean, it's the same thing happening in a different way. Is it time for India to then develop a much stronger junk bond market? Is is that the missing piece in this equation? I, I won't say that. I won't say that because many of them, many of these investments are very credit worthy. Just because they're slightly higher risk doesn't mean that they're high yield bonds or something like that. I mean, AIFs can be equity, AIFs can be debt, AIFs can be anything, right? Junk bond would be different. I would say that, okay, if you list and there is a rapid, uh, there is a vibrant secondary market for security receipts, the ones which are issued by the asset reconstruction companies on transfer of loans, right? Now, that itself is a junk bond, right? So, uh, so that is there. But this entire thing is happening when globally, it's just not in India. Globally, there is a tussle war between regulators and the private equity industry, what we call AIFs here, the private equity industry and the hedge funds and everybody abroad. So a few months ago, ACC came out with extremely uh, stern guidelines for the, the private equity, venture capital, uh, the US private equity, and that's a very powerful, large industry, right? And they have moved the court against the regulator. So there the jury is out that how things will turn out to be. 
So when SEC did that, SEBI was vindicated. SEBI said that, look, we guys are not micro-regulating or it's not an over-regulation. We are doing what regulators in developed markets are also doing. But then the backlash has been very strong there. I mean, our AIF industry is not... As strong or as big a lobby yes, as the US. Yes, as big sure. as a lobby as in US. I mean, so... But no, lobby or not, they're obviously getting impacted and it's, getting it's impacted. business and specifically, as we heard from some of them, that the rupee denominated funds are, are getting hurt even more because they don't have access to the kind of funds that some of the others have at this point. So that is another no, thing. The, the point is that AIF is a, is a funny animal because the thing is that in an AIF, the number of investors can be any, any. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that, say, in a mutual fund, you can't have, uh, no investor can hold more than certain point. You don't have such rules in AIF. The free game. So there can be two investors. Both of them can be overseas investors. They bring in dollars, capitalize the AIF. But when the AIF invests in the local Indian company, that investment is not considered as an overseas investment. So suppose that company has a foreign investment limit. This AIF is a wonderful way to sidestep that limit. Because the AIF investments is a local investment. It's not an FDI. Right. So there are certain latitudes which have been given to AIF and the industry has grown in the last 10 years. Now the regulator is doing a brain check. Which is which is accounted for but it will be a wait and watch and I'm sure these 30 days are not going to be easy and, and we're probably going to hear a lot more. So, on so uh, my, my bet would be that the 30 days has to be extended. They'll have to figure out a way in, I mean the way uh, to extend these 30 days. There has to be some cap for NBFCs so that this uh, priority lending and all these things don't happen. And uh, for genuine investments and particularly financial investment, I mean, development financial institutions. Like the NIF and all. Like, like SIDB, mm. like Exim Bank, they invest in a lot of AIF. And some of the AIFs are kind of encouraged by the government. For instance, the Swami Fund, I mean, which was set up to restart stalled real estate projects because so many home buyers money is stuck right now it's silly to think that exim bank or sidbi would be investing in naif to evergreen the loan evergreen their loans or even a, of large banks like say state bank icici axis which invest in aif right yeah. i mean at times what happens you know after investing the banks tell the fund manager that why don't you ask your investee companies to do business with us and now that's considered a conflict of interest. So now that's a conflict it. of interest. Because a banker thought it was a plain leveraging of yeah. your relationship. It's not uh, exactly conflict a of conflict of interest. Not, not a presumed guilt. Yes. So all these things will stop. So what will stop, at least in the near future, is the evergreening through the AIF route. But the unintended consequence is also the stopping of finance to AIFs from financial institutions that just don't want to add to the compliance complication of conflict. What is surely not stopping is the evergreening and delaying default on books. The overture via AIFs may have hit its last note, but the symphony of evergreening will surely continue to play out. With that, it's a wrap in this edition of The Morning Brief. A big shout out to the team that put this together, Sumit Pandey and Amrit Regi on production and sound. Stay tuned as on Friday, we're hitting the note high with Commerce of Concerts. Do music festivals really make money? Shabori on the other side, so tune in on Friday. Thank you for listening in.